their, their Savior, their Lord. I pray they never know a day of not walking with Him and loving Him and trusting in Him and serving Him. May they bear wonderful fruit for His name. And Father, I pray as they go to Children's Church that they would see just a little more of the beauty of their Savior. And Just one second, Bella. They would just see a little more of the beauty of their Savior and that they would just have just more of a taste of the grace that's found only in his gospel. And I pray these things in the name of that Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Yes. I'm not sure exactly what she asked me, but I, I think the answer is probably yes. Well, um, as you know by now, this is Christine's and my last Sunday with all of you. And, and you know, as, as she and I were talking about this, we, we thought that it would be great if, uh, if I just took a couple of minutes to just go around and tell every person how thankful I am for them and the impact that you've had on my life. So we're going to go alphabetically, which means Carolyn Bales, are you here because you're up first? Carolyn? Oh, there she, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But I, I sure wish I could. Uh, how, how can I summarize in a couple minutes um, the impact that you've had upon me and my family? This, three years. It's just not possible. I mean, all, all I can really do is say thank you. And thank you for caring so deeply for us, uh, for, for loving us so well and taking care of us. I mean, you, you have loved me, you love my, my wife, you've loved my two little girls. Uh, you know, I think I've said this before, I, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to, to think of an article of clothing that my girls are, you know, wear that we actually had to purchase while living in Leesburg because all their clothes have come from you. And the same could be said about most of their toys too. And this is just one way that you've loved us since we've, we've been here. There are lots of them. You've had us over for dinners and parties. You've taken us to restaurants. You know, you've watched our two little girls so Christine and I could go uh, on a date. You've helped you know, us move and unpack when we got here and you're helping us pack uh, even now. You've, you've walked with us through some of our, our struggles. And, and you've given us the privilege of, of sharing in your joys, and you've also given us the gift of, of sharing in your pain and your struggles and your doubts and your fears. And that's what, that's what it is when someone shares those things. It's a gift. And we're just so thankful for that. So I, I guess, again, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your hospitality, for your friendship, uh, for your love. Thank you for your listening ear and wise counsel. Thank you for the privilege of ministering to your hearts these past three years. I, I, I hope and pray that what Christine and I uh, leave you with as we move on are memories of encounters uh, with our precious Jesus. I pray that somehow through our, you know, your interactions with us, 
that you've seen more of what Jesus is like, that you've experienced, you know, and been captivated a little more by his beauty. I pray that, you know, whether it was across, you know, a table in a coffee shop or at a restaurant, whether it was in a Bible study or a community group, whether it was in our home or the church office or upstairs at Wegmans, whether it was even through the ramblings of a sermon or a Sunday school class, I I pray that Jesus and the gospel of grace became in some way clearer and more precious to you in the time that we've been here. And, you know, and, and for all those times when you've had interactions with us, which may not have led you to those things, and I'm sure there were times that that happened, you know, we just ask that you would uh, forgive us and pray that the revealing of our desperate need of a Savior uh, would lead you to embrace, deeply embrace him even more. So thank you, my dear uh, brothers and sisters. And please know um, that ex as excited as we are about the Lord leading us to this new adventure, uh, we, we love you and, and we will miss you. So thank you. Well, why don't we go ahead and uh, jump into one of those rambling sermons. We're, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 4, um, verses 1 through 13 this morning. And, you know, I, I listen to a guy named Mark Cohn every now and then. I don't know if you've heard of him. He had a, a big hit a number of years ago. It was called uh, Walking in Memphis. Do you remember that song? You ever hear that song? And I, I don't know if he's a, a Christian. I don't, I don't think he is. Um, but, you know, he sure does wrestle with stuff like he's one. And there's a song on his second album called Rest for the Weary, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something a little different this morning, okay? Because I'm going to play this song for us. And the lyrics are going to be up on the screen so you can follow along. You know, I, I, I thought about trying to read them, but it just, it just it didn't work. So I'm just going to ask you to just sit back and listen and enter into the struggle and the weariness that he's singing about because every single one of us wrestles with the same thing. So here's Marcone, Rest for the Weary. Stood beside 
that you could do If you look at some old photographs She looks tired too I hope there was some laughter Cause I know there was some tears Whoa. Now all I can say is I pray to God After all those years just another traveler on another winding road. I'm trying to walk some kind of line, trying to pull some kind of load. Now sometimes I move real easy, and sometimes I can't catch my breath. And sometimes I see my father's footsteps, and man, it scares me half to death. Do you feel that? Do you resonate with that? I do. I do because I'm weary. And I, and I know that you all are too. We're weary from lots of different things. We're weary from being sucked in by the workaholism of our culture. We're weary from dealing with the brokenness of this world. We're weary from trying to take care of aging parents. We're weary from worrying about our kids and their futures. We're weary from trying so hard to look like we have our acts together. We're, we're weary with coping with diseases and, and weary of having death intrude upon our lives and robbing us of people that we love. We're 
We're weary of the endless laundry, runny noses, no alone time. That's par for the course of being a stay-at-home mom. We're just weary, no matter what sphere we're in. And the list goes on and on and on. But our, our, our weariness, it's, it's more than just being physically exhausted. It's, it's a weariness of the soul that we all experience, right? A soul weariness that, that longs for rest. Did you hear that longing in, in the song? And it longs for that rest, not just in the here and now, but in the future. A weariness that longs for a time when struggles and pain of this life are over and we can enjoy a time of rest and peace and true contentment, things that can so elude us sometimes in this fallen, broken world. So as we look at Hebrews 4, 1 through 13 this morning, we're going to be talking about this kind of rest. So let's go ahead and jump in and we'll read Hebrews 4, 1 through 13, which says this, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Brothers and sisters, would you please pray with me? Father, I, I thank you for this church. I thank you that this is a place where the gospel of Christ is preached and your word is clearly taught. I, I thank you for how they love each other here. I pray that they would love each other more and more, that this would be what marks them out as yours in the eyes of this community. And I pray that you would stir their hearts to continue to look beyond these four walls and to have a growing passion to bring your gospel to those who never darken the doors here, to those who don't know Jesus. Give them courage to leave their comfort zones and go to people and places they never would have dreamed of approaching before. Father, I thank you for the leadership of this church. 
They are men who love you and have been faithful in shepherding your sheep. Continue to give them wisdom as they handle difficult pastoral situations. Give them tenderness and compassion as you use them to mend broken hearts and broken lives. And give them courage and strength when they have to guard this flock from wolves or need to lead a stray sheep back on the path home. Father, help them to clearly hear what direction you would like this church to go. Give them unity as they listen to where you are leading this body and give them courage to follow wherever you may be leading them. Father, I pray that this church may always be a place for the wounded and brokenhearted. May it always be a place where the balm of your gospel of grace is applied. That it will always be a lighthouse that draws people to Jesus, the King, and to the glory of his kingdom. And lastly, Father, I pray for this sermon. You know the spiritual battle that has been fought over it. So please, let every word bring glory to you and be in line with your scriptures. And let every word bring glory to your son Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. Now, before we get started, I feel like I say this every time. You need to know that there is, as you've probably seen, there's a lot of material in this passage, right? It's a pretty big chunk. And it's more than we could ever cover in, in one sermon, honestly. I mean, just the, just the last part about uh, God's Word could be a sermon in and of itself. And what makes it even more challenging is that there are a lot of technical issues in the Greek and other things that are going on. Uh, in this passage. So, so my, long story short, we're not going to be able to cover everything. Um, and, and we're going to have to be content at times of taking a bird's eye view of things by touching on the main points of the passage. Otherwise, um, this would be a theological lecture um, and I'd lose all of you, right? And, and we need to be able to kind of land the plane and, and see what difference it all makes too. So please uh, keep this in mind as we go along, okay? Now, the first thing I, I want you to walk away with uh, this morning is that we enter God's rest by faith. Now, we're going to talk about um, this, this rest and what it looks like later, but for now, we're going to talk about how we enter it, and we'll focus on verses 1 and 2. You notice it starts with a therefore, and whenever you see that, you know that it's referring to something that's already been discussed, right? And in this case, it's, it's from chapter 3, which we looked at last week. See, the author's been using Psalm 95 and the Exodus community to give us a warning to not, to, to not be like them, right? Because they made it to the brink of entering God's rest, the rest promised in, in, in Canaan, and they forfeited that rest through unbelief and disobedience. And, and because the Hebrews are, are facing a second round of persecution, they're weary, They've already been through this. If you look in chapter 10, you'll find out that when they first became believers, they went through persecution. They were publicly ridiculed. They were insulted. They were imprisoned. Their property was seized. And then here it is, round two is coming around years later, and they're thinking of maybe giving up and turning their backs on Jesus. They're thinking of maybe returning to Judaism is not such a bad idea, right? Because who wants to go through all that persecution again? So the writer is telling them to, to take care, to be sure, to enter God's rest, lest any, any of, anyone should seem to fail to reach that rest. And he's telling us the same thing. 
you know, the, the Exodus generation heard good news, we see in this passage, in this section, right? God promised promised them things. He promised deliverance out of Egypt. He promised to keep covenant with them. He promised that they would find rest when they entered Canaan and took it as their possession. But the, the writer tells us that the message that they heard didn't profit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And we know that those who had faith and who listened were very small in number, right? You remember the story um, the only two people who, who, the only two adults who listened to God's word and responded in faith were Joshua and Caleb, right? The two spies that came back and gave a favorable report. Everybody else didn't make it in. And, and you see, Joshua and Caleb entered God's rest that he promised in the promised land because of their faith. Even when they saw the giants who were living there and they probably felt like grasshoppers themselves, they, they still had faith in the Lord. They believed that the promise he had made to them about the land was there, so they knew that somehow God would deliver these giants into their hand. And because of that faith, they entered into the rest that God had promised to them. And it's, it's the same for us, because the only way to enter God's rest is, is through faith. We, we can't earn this rest by our own merits. We, we can't work ourselves into getting God's rest. We have to respond to the good news just like Joshua and Caleb did in faith. You see, for, for us, believing the good news means putting our faith in another. It means believing that Jesus' work of dying on the cross, of, of bearing our shame, our eternal wrath, has brought us forgiveness and salvation and eternal, uh, eternal life, and that his work is the foundation for us to claim God's promise of rest. So the question that I ask this morning is simply this, are you in, united in faith with those who believe? Is a message profiting you that you've heard the good news? Are you putting your faith in Jesus Christ this morning? Because you can think you have, and you can even look like you have, and sometimes you really haven't. See, this is more, this putting your faith in Jesus is more than just intellectually assenting to facts about him. Putting your faith in Jesus means a lot of things, but it means things like growing, that you have a growing love for him. It means that you are, are learning to trust him more deeply. It means that you're looking to depend upon him more and more every day. It even means recognizing that, that even the faith that we're talking about is a gift from him. So I, I echo the words of, of our writer of, of this book, while it is still called today. While God's promise of rest still stands, enter into that rest if you haven't already. Enter it through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's my plea. And if you want to know more about that, please come and talk to me or someone after the service. We'd be glad to talk to you about that. So we enter God's rest by faith, but what exactly is this rest? I mean, isn't that the million-dollar question? We're going to see how our promised rest is God's Sabbath rest in this next section. And we're going to be, again, we're going to be taking a bird's-eye view of verses 3 through 5. That's where we're going to turn next to shed a little light on that. And I'll be honest with you, that section's a little confusing. 
But we're going to work through it, and we're going to see what, what, what point the writer's making here. You see, if you notice in that section, verses 3 through 5, verses 3 and 5, there's, there's this repeating of, they shall not enter my rest, right? And then there's, there's this stuff in between talking about that rest. And, and the purpose of him doing this, of, of repeating, they shall not enter my rest, it's not like a double whammy warning. What he's actually doing is he's trying to call our attention to the fact that what God is saying there is that they shall not enter my rest. My rest. You see, the rest that God promises, it's not just any rest. It's God's own rest. Is that boggling your mind? And when the author says it is somewhere spoken, I mean, what he's, what's in, not indirectly being said is that God is the one speaking it, and the somewhere that he's referencing is Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. And that's the passage that talks about the seventh day of creation, when God finishes his work, and he looks over everything that he has made, and he sees that it is very good, and he rests on the seventh day, and he sets it apart as holy. Now, now, why would the author cite this passage? Right? Because he's, he's fleshing out what God's own rest looks like. God's rest is the Sabbath rest he enjoyed after finishing the work of creation. He's, he's explaining that God's promise of rest to us is like this Sabbath rest in some way, like the Sabbath rest he enjoyed on the seventh day. That somehow our rest looks like participating in that. So what, what exactly does that rest look like? I, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm not sure that we, uh, we can really know with certainty. Because Scripture isn't exactly clear on all that. But one thing I, I do know is that what it doesn't mean is that we won't be working. That during our, our promised rest, we won't be working. I, I know that because God continues to work, even to this day. And Scripture tells us that when we're in heaven, we'll be serving God in heaven. If you're serving someone, then you're working, right? So it doesn't mean that we won't be working. Well, then what does it mean? Like I said, I don't know for certain, but... You know, because of the connection that the writer is making between our rest and God's Sabbath rest. And this is not like my unique idea here, okay? I'm, I'm, you know I'm lifting this off of commentaries, right? Just so you know that. I'm not, a, I'm not a Bible scholar, but they are. And their point is that this connection between our rest and God's rest is giving us a picture, a glimpse of what our rest will involve and that's going to involve this deep sense of satisfaction and, and contentment. See, God wasn't physically tired after, after creating everything. He wasn't tired in that sense. It's not the sense. He didn't need rest in that uh, sense. He, he finishes his work of creation, and he looks it over, and he sees that it's very good, and he rests on the seventh day being deeply satisfied and content with his magnificent work. And I think in some way this gives us a glimpse of what the fulfillment of his promise of rest will look like uh, to us 
perfect satisfaction and, and contentment. Because when the world passes away and we're on the new earth and everything has finally been made right, we will be deeply satisfied and content for all eternity because we'll see God face to face finally. Because we'll see him as he is. Because we'll have work that is deeply satisfying and not a burden. Because our relationships with one another will be in perfect harmony. Because we'll be living in perfect holiness and righteousness. There'll be no more sin or sickness or death or pain or suffering or tears. And we'll have glorified bodies that never get sick, weak, or die, we will enjoy an eternity of peace, bliss, and blessedness. And so that's my best stab at it. I, I, I don't think we can fathom what the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise of rest will look like. I mean, who can know what it would be like to enjoy this, this promise, rest? But I, I do know this. It is definitely worth entering into because it'll be more wonderful than we could possibly imagine. And that's good news to weary ones. Now, we've been talking about what our future rest will look like, right? And this kind of sets the stage for the next point that's being made in the next section, and that is that God's promised rest is yet to be fulfilled. So let's uh, let's look at verses 6 through 10. Again, we're going to take the, the bird's eye view to get the main thrust of these verses. Now, the author's been citing Psalm 35 throughout chapters 3 and 4, right? And, and the person who wrote that psalm was David. And, and here's the point he's trying to make. He says, if, if Joshua had, had fully truly fulfill God's promise of rest by leading the Israelites in taking possession of the promised land, then, then why would God use David so many years later to talk about that same rest? If, if God's promise of rest was a closed deal, then David wouldn't be talking about that rest in terms of today. Do not harden your hearts. So his argument climaxes in verse 9 when he says, the conclusion is then, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, which is the church. Now, now one point that I want to make from this is the promise is still open to those who would claim it by and in faith. The promise hasn't been fulfilled yet. It still awaits to be fulfilled, so the door is still open. So if you haven't entered God's rest yet, it is still today. It is still now. You can still enter it before it's too late. And the second point that I want to talk about is, you know, the, the, there's an already not yet aspect to this promise of rest. So far this morning, we've been talking about the, the not yet aspect of it, right? We've talked about the future fulfillment of this promise of rest and what it might look like. But I think there's, there's, there's an already side to that promise. There's a here and now side to it. By faith, we enter into God's rest now 
which will be fulfilled in the future, but we can also experience this rest in part in the here and now. And let's talk about some, some examples of what that might look like. Now, <laughs> I know that um, I might possibly unintentionally offend some of you as we go through these, but I want you to know something. I want you to know this, that there is not a single one of the examples that I'm about to give that isn't true for me. Okay? So that being said, I ask you, what, what is making your soul weary this morning? Are you, are you weary from your workaholism? I want you to know that you can find rest in God's provision and, and maybe spend more time at home or find another job trusting that the Lord is going to take care of you and your family. You know, is your soul weary from perfectionism? You can find rest in Jesus' righteousness and not be so driven by what others are going to think if you don't perfectly cross your T's and, and dot your I's. You know, is your soul weary from some kind of addiction? You can find rest in Jesus' faithfulness and believe him when he says that he will give you everything you need instead of bowing down to idols that make big promises that can never deliver. Are you, is your soul weary from trying to control things, everyone and, and everything? You can find rest in God's sovereignty and trust him to handle getting things done instead of taking personal responsibility to make everything happen yourself. You know, is your soul weary from church servaholism? You can find rest in Jesus' full and complete acceptance of you to move past the people-pleasing and to have the voice to say no when you should be saying no. You can be free from just knowing that God loves you in your head and hoping that your service will somehow make him actually like you. You, you can be free from the self-imposed burden that the survival of this church or some ministry within it depends entirely upon you. You can find rest. You know, the, the list goes on and on. I mean, and you get my point. The promise of God's rest awaits a future fulfillment, and we look for that and we long for that. But at the same time, that, that rest also breaks into the here and now and how we live our lives and what we rest in. Now, the, the last point I want to make is that God's word will lead us to rest. And if you're following in your bulletin insert, you've just realized that that is not what it says in there, right? I've changed it. So if you want to write that in, it's God's word will lead us to rest is my next point. And it's from verses 11 through 13. And verses 11 through 13 should shake us up a bit because they're meant to do that. We're, we're, we're meant to feel the weight of rejecting God's word and the consequences of it. See, because that's what unbelief and disobedience are. You see, all but two people 
and the Exodus community rejected God's word. All but two adults. And the Hebrews are flirting around with doing the same thing. And we need to make sure that we're not following in their footsteps. Because God's word is not to be trifled with. Because the God who speaks it is not to be trifled with. Ephesians 6 tells us that God's word is the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Holy Spirit, which is the same image here, the sword image. And, and that's why it's living and active. That's why it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That's why it can pierce down to the very depths of our being. That's why it reveals our true intentions and motives. That's why it exposes us and leaves us no place to hide. And your response to it this morning could have eternal consequences. Because if you reject God's word, then you reject God himself. And if you reject God himself, then not only will you not enter his rest, but you will have no hope in this life or the next. You see, either the word of God will lead us to faith in Jesus Christ, to the source of God's mercy and his forgiveness and his salvation, or it'll be the source of our condemnation and judgment on the day that we have to give an account. Either the word of God will lead us to perfect rest in Jesus Christ or it will lead to God swearing in his wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Either the word of God will be balm for our souls or it will cut us to pieces. We're in the section where exhorted to strive to enter God's rest. And striving will look different depending on where you are spiritually. If you're, if you're not a Christian, striving doesn't mean that you've got to work really hard to clean up your act, uh, that, that, you have to, you know, that you have to kind of do whatever you need to do to earn your salvation or rest or anything else from God. I mean, you have no hope of doing that anyway. Can I just tell you that? What, what it does mean, in part, is, is praying and asking the sword of the Spirit, to work in your heart, to work in your heart to enable you to believe and to respond to God's word, to show you your true motives and intentions and how evil they really are, to convict you that like the rest of us, you're a sinner in God's eyes, and like us, you need, desperately need, a Savior And it means praying and asking that you would be even given that gift of faith, that gift that will lead you to being able to humble yourself and repent and and throw yourself upon the mercy that is found in Jesus Christ the Savior. Only then will you enter into that experience of God's rest for your soul. I mean, it's it's better to let the, the sword of the Spirit do its work now than on that day that we have to give an account to God. Now, if, if you're a Christian, your, your striving is going to look you know, different from that. You know, you're not striving to enter God's rest in the sense that you're trying to make it happen or, or earn it. 
and you're not striving to keep yourself from falling away from God and his promise of rest because we know the Holy Spirit is the one who ultimately accomplishes these things. I think, I think one way to look at it is that your striving is to reflect in your life the rest that you already possess. And even in saying that, it's still the Holy Spirit that's ultimately going to empower you to do this. So I just, I urge all of us, myself included, let's strive to let the Word of God do its gracious and loving and merciful work this morning. Let it cut as deeply as necessary to perform the heart surgery that we, we need. Let it expose our true intention and motives. Let it bring us out of hiding and help us to stop pretending. Let it show us where we need to rest more in Jesus. I, I end by, by asking all of us a question. What, what are you resting in this morning? Our, our souls are weary. And they're weary because even though we've entered God's rest, ultimately, we can still try and find rest in so many other things. We, 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 you know, we put our faith and trust in so many other things. I, I mean, are, are you weary this morning? Are you weary from wrestling with doubts and fears? And, and maybe, maybe you're thinking of calling it quits. Maybe you're thinking of bagging this whole Christian thing. I, I don't know. Are you weary from struggling with, with sins that so easily entangle you and that you can't seem to get victory over? I mean, maybe now, even now, you may be sitting there thinking about the next porn site you're going to go to or the next drink you're going to have or the next food binge you're going to enjoy. Even now, are you weary? Are you weary from being a workaholic or a church serveaholic? Are you weary from worrying? about how you're going to pay the next light bill, about whether God's watching over your kids and a hundred other things? Are you weary from pretending you're better than you are, from working so hard to seem like you're more spiritual than you are, that you have your act together? Are you weary from trying to earn the love and forgiveness from God that you already have in Christ? Are you weary from a strained marriage? Are you weary from a difficult boss or job situation? The list goes on and on. We're weary. We're all weary, soul weary. And the question is, where are we looking to find rest this morning? What are the things that we're turning to this morning for relief, a, a, a relief that can't deliver, that promises real rest, but is really a fake, cheap counterfeit? Whatever things you're turning to, whatever, whatever they are, and I'm right there with you, we need to hear this. Whatever those things may be, Jesus is better. May the Lord help us to believe that. So let's turn to Jesus. Let's turn to him, the one who provides real rest. Run to the one who 
welcomes weary souls whose work it was to bleed and die on the cross so that those who put their faith and trust in him can find rest. While it's still called today, let's strive to enter God's rest by clinging to Jesus, the one who has provided the ultimate rest for the weary ones. My fellow weary travelers, hear and respond this morning to Jesus' invitation from Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My, My beloved brothers and sisters like me, do you struggle to believe that this invitation is true? Do you like me, struggle to find rest in your Savior in the here and now. There is good news for us. Because in, in a few minutes, a table will be spread out for us. And the grace that I need and the grace that you need can be found there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have made a way to give those who are so undeserving rest. You you made that way not by resting, but by working to the point of shedding your own blood. And we are so thankful for that. We are so thankful for Jesus and what he has done to secure our rest. And Father, we pray. We pray that as we we rest in our eternal security, in our eternal life, as we long and look forward to that time when your rest will finally and completely be fulfilled. I I pray that for all of us, the reality of the fact that we've entered that rest will start showing up more and more in our lives in the here and now. Let us be shining examples of those who find rest in Christ, even in the here and now. Father, be with us. And let, let the things that we're chewing on and wrestling with and processing and, and the things that you've taught us and ministered with to us, let them not leave us when we leave this room. Let them stay with us. And let your Holy Spirit, your sword of the Spirit, let it do its work to make us more, more like Jesus, our beloved Savior, in whose name I pray. Amen.